Mark 1. Mark 1 doesn't have 32 verses in it? Hmm? Yeah, it yep, does. it does. How come my Bible brings up... <laughs> oh, because I'm in Jeremiah still. I haven't gotten into Mark. The parable begins at verse 29. And so Mark 1 and verse 32. Okay, we read uh, verse 29 last time. Let's start with verse 32. And uh, and Denise, I, would you introduce your husband, please? This is Cliff. Cliff. Glad to meet you. Bernice. I'll be skipping. Okay, you'll be skipping. Ed, would you please read 32 to 39? 39. <clears throat> and at even... When the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not that the devils to speech speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up in a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Okay. <clears throat> what does this tell us about the plan of salvation? Seeking and... Saving. Seeking and saving the lost. Right. This, this is about as far removed, isn't it, from um, merely a courtroom scene and, and legal uh, documentation as you can get, where you're going out and seeking people who, who have need, and you're fulfilling that need. In this case, healing. Well, the other thing here, too, it says everyone is looking for you. So, they may not know what who they're looking for. The people are looking. Okay. Along that line, it seems that humans need to have some yeah. earthly form to look to for a form of Christ. And of course, you have religions that have all kinds of forms. Because humans seem to have to see something, look to something concrete. In that yeah. case, Christ was there. It was very concrete. They saw the evidence of his healing and his love and care for them. Yeah. First um, John, we're going to come to that who knows how many years from now. First um, John says that uh, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have felt with our hands, and that which we have heard with our ears, uh, we speak to you of. It's this ability to actually touch Jesus, to actually see him, and uh, to actually uh, hear him person to person. Isn't, haven't you ever been in a situation where you just longed, you had some burning issues, some burning questions, some unresolved things, and you just longed to have Jesus personally unfold that to you? Uh, and And... That's that's the need that we have that is here, and that, that's why one of the things, and I'll just throw this out to you, 
One of the things that I have found so very helpful in my personal life is to read the stories of the Gospels and to pick one that I particularly resonate with. I feel like I, there's something in that story that is right for me and modernize it into my own experience and imagine experiencing that. And, and I guess my favorite one is the anointing of Jesus' feet by Mary. Um, because how many times have I longed for God to say, leave her alone? She has done a beautiful thing. And, and I, I, it's, it's personalizing it, making it real to yourself that uh, the healing takes place. So let's move on now. Um, Matthew Lee, would you please read verses 40 to the end of the chapter? So that would be 40 to 45. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Kim. We kind of alluded to this last week, <clears throat> and I've heard some kind of okay explanations, but I would like to get your take on it. There are several places that we've read where either human or spirit has been demon uh, told, be quiet. Mm-hmm. We had that in the previous story that we read. Right. And I, you know, I know that there's this thing of, oh, if they heard about it, they may come, you know, as gangbusters. But is there another? Yes. It, that's what I'm wondering. Yes. Question. If you don't mind. Jesus says, uh, actually, uh, this one, in, in this case, uh, Jesus says, don't publish it. Because publishing it would increase the satanic fury of the people that are out uh, patrolling things, trying to control and not wanting Jesus to do what he's doing. And, and by the way, I think that that is, is still something God is doing. I've experienced this in my own life. That, uh, I mean, there is, I think, a reason for why I meet here in this little isolated place with a very small class instead of 35 people like I used to have. Um, I think it's, it's just a better way to do it. And, and besides, it's online, so anybody can listen. So I'm not exactly in a corner. But it's just, it, it, there's something about publicity that uh, draws uh, some kinds of attractions you don't want. So that's one factor. But on the demons, uh, demons recognizing who he is and he's silencing them. <laughs> Be quiet. There's a different explanation for that. If you were Jesus, would you want the devil advertising who you were? I mean, that's kind of the wrong person to be telling the world. You're the, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're God. That's not the right publicity. I hope that answers your question.
I went back to this uh, chapter, chapter 1, verses 42, 45. Just a, a brief mi a minor note. We don't know for sure what the skin disease was. Uh, King James Version, of course, calls it leprosy. But as near as archaeologists and scholars can determine, it's not Hansen's disease, which is the modern leprosy. Now, the problem is that it seems to have the same kind of stigma. And so we don't know what it is. And I personally wouldn't mind if we found out we were wrong and that it really is leprosy because it works so well. But uh, as you know, this disease was called the stroke of God by the rabbis. So if you had leprosy or, or skin, the skin disease, you had been singled out by deity to receive explicit and direct punishment from him. That's the way everybody saw it. The second thing I'd like to note is in verse 40, uh, the King James Version says, if thou wilt, but my version says, if you want, if you want to. This has to do with, do you, do you, ha do you have the willingness to heal me? Apparently, this is the first leper to come to Jesus. Why is he the first? I mean, why haven't there been others coming to Jesus? Well, just what you said. It's, it was the... Okay, maybe Jesus wouldn't even touch me, wouldn't heal me, he wouldn't yeah, have anything to do with me. And not, not only that, but to get to him, I have to go through all the crowds, because there are always crowds around Jesus. <clears throat> I have to go through the crowds, and the crowds aren't going to let me in. The crowds will intimidate me. The crowds will, will scorn me, drive me away. They might even throw stones at me. Everywhere they went, they had to cry out, unclean. unclean. Yeah, yeah. And who's going to let them in to a crowd when they have to do that? So how did this man even get to Jesus is a good question. Uh, maybe he just didn't cry out, unclean, unclean, but he probably looked a sight, and they must have drawn away from him to avoid contact. And so he gets to Jesus, and he says, if you want to, you can make me clean. Most ancient manuscripts of the Greek New Testament have the word compassion, with, uh, com filled with compassion, or having compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. In the King James, it looks like he understood that if God wanted to, he could make him clean. Mm -hmm. If thou wilt, you can make me clean. Yeah. Thou canst make me clean. So he understood that he could be cleansed by Jesus. Yeah, if you want to. That's the catch. It isn't that you have. He doesn't. He Demand doesn't it. misunderstand Jesus' power. Right. He knows Jesus has the power to make him clean. But his his real question is: Does he want to? Is he willing to risk something to make me clean? Now, as I said, most manuscripts of the Greek New Testament have uh, Jesus filled with compassion or Jesus having compassion. But there's one Greek manuscript, apparently, that has a different word. And it's a word for deep, intense anger. Incensed. And my version has that. And they have a little note by it uh, to that effect. Uh, why, would, why would Jesus be upset that the man said that? The whole system with the Jewish, you're being punished by God. That's part of that. That, that, that. 
to a person who wants only to give, 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 and somebody saying, if you want to, it's like, why don't I, why do you think I don't want to? You know, it, it's that, that anguish, almost anger, that he should even say that. And he, of course, he's not angry at the man. He's, um, he's angry at the system, as you said. And so Jesus reaches out and touches him. Now, well, that puts a whole new construct on there. If it's really anger, and he's, I mean, it's a different sort of thing than, because it's, if thou wilt, it's really coming from me. And for me, I know you can cleanse me if you do it, if you bother me, you know, bother with me. So Christ is really upset because that's why I'm here. <laughs> so, well, of course I want so to. So why would you even think I wouldn't yeah. want to, as long as you believe in me? Yeah. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, <coughs> it, it, there were so many rules that people were brought up with <clears throat> that created so much doubt in the people's minds that they would... You know, why would you say that? Because that's what they were brought up. This is his frame of reference. Yeah, and it's really difficult when you're brought up well, with that to just go. Yeah, my my emphasis is on the guy. It's on Christ's response. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, because exactly. that's and the so, main thing. And like, <laughs> that's why I'm here. Yeah. yeah, but that's you know the flip yeah. side of that. That's why. Yeah. Because yeah. the the guys having a hard time, and maybe you know we. Or I could. <laughs> I know you can do this, if you would, and help my faith, like we've heard some other people in Scripture say. You know, help. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, because I know I know what your mission is, but. Well, and it's part of the healing. It's not just the physical healing, but it's the mm-hmm. understand in your head. I've come. I love you. I want you. To be whole, I want you to be with me and all that. It's not, it's a complete healing, not just a physical healing. Yes. And that's to me why Jesus touches him. And I don't think it was just a touch. I mean, there's, there, I always, when I read the New Testament, I'm thinking in Hebrew because this Hebrew is the background of the New Testament, even though it's not the language being used. And in Hebrew, there is a, a way, there is a verb that kind of means to just do that, a casual touch. I think Jesus did this. Yeah, and break, yeah. He put his hand. And you can imagine, if he had a skin disease that did like Hansen's disease does, destroys the nervous system. I mean, it, it destroys the ability to feel anything. Can you imagine the first thing that man senses or is aware of is the feeling of Jesus' hand on his shoulder? And to me, that is just a powerful example of Jesus, what you were saying, Bev, that Jesus came to do more than just physically heal people. He understood that the deeper wounds and the deeper uh, diseases were in the mind. And he came to restore that. And, and Jesus could do it so fast. I mean, how long does it take you <laughs> with a single person? Ed? It takes a while. It takes a long yeah. time. 
But Jesus could do it so fast because, because something about the reality of Jesus was so real that it transcended everything else. Something to think about on, on the, the, the issue of touch. There have been studies on groups of babies. They touch, fondle, handle, mm -hmm. do everything they not just the necessary things like changing diapers, but holy cuddling, you know, playing, mm -hmm. all that mm -hmm. stuff. And then this other group of babies, they all they did was the essential, just changing diapers, giving food. Other than that, they didn't do anything. And the babies started failing. They died. Actually, they died. They and and um, I, I have a actually very real story on that. In your book. There was an Adventist uh, woman who ran an orphanage uh, in some, I think it was Eastern European country. <coughs> And I was told this by a, a military chaplain who served in that country and had talked to her and learned firsthand from, the from her the story and told it to me because uh, we were discussing this. She, she had a lot of babies in her orphanage, and she had a lot of nurses who were taking care of the babies, uh, and the babies were dying. And she couldn't figure out why one after another was dying. And so she went to God, and she said, God, I don't know why my babies are dying. Would you please show me? And God responded, I guess, by an impression. He said, watch how the nurses take care of the babies. Do they love them? Do they play with them? Do they cuddle them? Do they tickle them? Do they interact with them? And so she started watching, and sure enough, <clears throat> all they were doing was... Um, Doing the cursory, like diapering, uh, clothing, bathing, feeding, uh, and so on. And they, that was it. And so she gathered the nurses together, and she said to them, from now on, it's not enough to just do what you've been doing. You've got to interact with these babies. You've got to play with them. You've got to touch them. You've got to hold them. You've got to cuddle them, uh, sing to them, uh, play with them. And the nurses started doing that, her mortality rate stopped. So it is, it is practically a fact. I think it's very well established that uh, that touch is just, and, and we know that I was just reading something online yesterday that somebody posted on Facebook that a hug for 20 seconds. Uh, raises the level of some uh, chemical, and I don't remember now what it is. Maybe, Ed, you can help me out on this. It was endorphins. It was endorphin. yeah. It was, and, it, and it, it was antidepressant. So touch is extremely important, and you can imagine this man has been isolated and kept from people for how many years? Who knows how many years? And apparently the reason he comes to Jesus is that he figures Jesus is his last hope and, and he has nothing to lose. <laughs> He's going to die maybe within a short time. Uh, and, and why not take the risk? Why not bear the scorn? It'd be worth it. If, if he can make me whole, it'd be totally worth it. So he takes the gamble. And uh, this is the result. And then Jesus is really stern. My, my version has sternly. Jesus sent him away. Go away. Don't say anything to anyone. Instead, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice for your cleansing that Moses commanded. Now, I believe in another version, another gospel, 
he actually does go to the priest, but then he openly tells everybody. So what is he doing when he goes Moses' commandment? He's going to do a sacrifice? He has to bring a sacrifice, and they have to examine him to see whether he still has leprosy. Hmm. They're the judges. Uh, I understand the people. This was not God's original plan. It was his way of, of protecting people from this disease. Uh, so his original plan is the, the priests do decide whether you're a leper or not, and you bring these offerings and so on. But this is about cleansing. This is not about uh, judgment and condemnation. Hmm. Uh, and, but the people had turned that into a courtroom idea of where the priests are the judges, and they make a decision about whether God is still punishing this man. So what do we learn about salvation here? Is salvation from sin an emotional thing? Let's open up a can of worms. I don't think it could be anything else. Because the lies have really affected our emotions and we're separated from God. We lack His touch in our life. So it wasn't just a mental thing that He came to Christ. It was really an emotional thing. And of course, it doesn't tell us what he'd gone through before he got there or his age or anything. But at some point, he must have realized that Christ could cleanse him. So we don't know if he'd been studying or thinking it through. Or you kind of wonder, maybe the Lord let him <clears throat> get uh, leprosy to bring him back to him. So we know we have trials and tribulations. Does that make it punishment? In my mind, it's not a punishment. It's the way of sin. There's going to be trials and punishments and problems and death and dying. So does does God deliberately allow suffering to bring us back to Him? I mean, there, I, I believe there's an element of that, but a lot of people who aren't with God at all don't suffer. And that raises enormous questions about why those who suffer do. And, and, it, and it tends to lead us to start saying, oh, well, you know, he must have really deserved that. Um, so, so I think we have to be careful uh, with that. Um, but uh, this man actually changed the course of Jesus' ministry, didn't he? Jesus had to go and be in seclusion for a while until things calmed down. Otherwise, he would have had what? How many lepers coming to him? Colonies. Every, all, colonies. Colonies of lepers coming to him. And everybody else would have said, we, don't, we, we can't go to Jesus anymore because he's, oh, there's lepers all around him. We're going to get leprosy if we go to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So this, this puts him in a crisis. But on the other hand, is he here just to save those who have little sins as opposed to someone that's got a leprosy? <laughs> or... Is he here just to deal with the, the worst ones? Isn't it nice? I mean, if you're talking about that yeah, kind of yeah, I, construct that he has to split, you know. I think it's a very real problem for him to have to solve, but I think that that's where it falls short of, of describing the gospel. Hmm. No one has to stay away from Jesus. And Jesus doesn't have to hide out from anyone. Because the direct communication now and, and is, is direct. 
between each person and Jesus. Uh, so, so this falls short of the ideal that that no, I came. He came to, to save sinners. Of uh, Paul says, of whom I am chief. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's move on to, on to the next chapter. And uh, didn't you pass, Cliff? Read, read verses one through twelve. section is called Jesus Heals a Palsied Man. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they covered, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose and took up the bed, and went forth before them all insomuch. <coughs> They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So, let's talk a little bit about the details of this story. This making an opening in the roof, it sounds like they're vandals. <laughs> so let me explain about Middle Eastern roofs. Uh, I was familiar with this kind of roof in Hong Kong, where I lived for three years uh, because <clears throat> they're tile roofs, and the way they're constructed, all you have to do is just dismantle part of the roof, and you have an opening right into the house. So that's what they're doing. They're not really vandalizing. They're just creating an opening that can easily be put back together. And um, they let this man down. And uh, the other thing is, uh, the King James Version suggests that he is a palsied person, but the actual word means paralytic. He's paralyzed. So, here they do this rather dramatic entroit into the midst of this, uh, these people. And all Jesus says to the paralytic is, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
huh? One of you will. He doesn't seem to say that, though, does he? He doesn't really say anything. Well, that's a total, <clears throat> total different verbal response than with the previous man, the leopard. Yeah. So you focus on the healing, the physical. Yeah. Here you focus totally on his sins. Yeah. It must have freaked out the establishment. Well, it does. They, they're sitting there saying, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins right. but God? Probably just wasn't the leadership. Everybody was startled. Yeah. Of what are you doing here? Well, it's one thing to heal sin, uh, physical, but... They weren't expecting that. Boy. No. <clears throat> yeah. But his saying, your sins have forgiven him, heals him, doesn't it? What does that tell us about forgiveness? We think of forgiveness as almost synonymous with salvation, right? Mm -hmm. What does that tell us about forgiveness? Well, I mean, he forgives our sins before we even ask. Because the man never even asked to have his sins forgiven. He was asking to be healed. But Jesus sees our needs before we see them ourselves. And What about the nature of forgiveness? It's um, you. It it is all encompassing. If you forgive somebody, it, it heals not only what's been done, or hopefully restores. There's some restoration, but it also, you know, um, doesn't eat at you anymore. You know, it's a psychological peace you get if you can understand it that way. Some people don't even understand that. Um, a lot of times they say, oh, you know, if you say you're sorry, that means you don't bring it up again. It's like, that's, you know, forgiveness is letting go of the penalty that you could inflict on someone for hurting you and giving that up to God. So, so when Jesus forgives his sins, he's, he's giving up his right to punish this man? And that's why he's healed? No, that's, human. that's, that's our human part. Um, what he's doing might be that he, is, he knows he's going to die for the sins in the future. And so giving this man a chance to repent could bring him back to him in salvation. What is the nature of forgiveness? It's covering it and putting it away. Is that all? Hiding it from whom? Is, is Jesus hiding our sins? I don't think so. When he's he covers hiding. our sins, does he hide them from the Father get so to we can't heaven, see how bad we really have been? As I understand, we're supposed to be talking about life here and so forth, so we can't sort of cover the sins. We have to recognize what it did to us and the impact. So, so I don't think they're being covered in the sense that I, hidden. We, we get this from a certain reading of the word kipper in Leviticus. Um, where Kipper uh, has two distinct origins, possibly. Uh, one origin, we rely on the Arabic to discern, and it means kafar, means to cover. Uh, the other origin uh, is Akkadian, uh, where kapuru 
means to wipe off, to rub away. And the question is, which one is intended by that word kipper in Leviticus? And, and scholars come on both sides. They, there's some scholars who say, oh, it's more related to the Akkadian. I think those scholars are in the majority. It simply makes more sense because Arabic is later than Hebrew. And if that's what we have to rely on, how can we know? Uh, so uh, it makes more sense to go the Akkadian route. But the Arabic is still there, and some scholars still lean that direction. The interesting thing is that in certain contexts in the Hebrew Bible, it obviously does mean to cover, unless to cover means to rub in, instead of rubbing off, rubbing in. And I'm wondering if that isn't the connection, and that the word really is one word. And, and whether you have the kafar in Arabic, or you have the kapuru in Akkadian, it really has to do with rubbing off or rubbing in. Uh, something and so you have Noah's Ark, where he rubs in the pitch. Mm. In fact, the pitch is called the rubbing in, mm. <laughs> the stuff you rub in. <laughs> uh, and, and my sense of things is that that cover may be a misnomer, and that we really have this rubbing in, this this um, almost intertwining. Uh, the love of God with our sinfulness so that it can absorb that sinfulness and destroy it, nullify it, eradicate it. So it can be eradicated, nullified, but it doesn't mean it's forgotten. It doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's hidden, but in its or eradication, in, in its eradication, we no longer see it. Right. We see only the love that remains. And, and so I would like to propose here that when Jesus says your sins are forgiven and he heals him that's what heals him the forgiveness is healing it's that rubbing in and eradicating wiping off wiping away the sin so is it that the rubbing in of the forgiveness like you do massage, you, you get in there and, and, and you put whatever force or, you know, and that would be the changing that we always hear about. He changes us. Well, he transforms us. I mean, he? Right, he transforms us. And how do you transform? I mean, look at, look at the creation story and think about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You start with darkness and you start with the deep, the two uh, entities that meant chaos in the ancient Near East. You start with that, because sin has already entered the universe when God creates this world. So how does God transform that? He transforms it. He does not slay it like in Babylonian stories of creation. He transforms it. He speaks light into the darkness. Well, darkness is the absence of light. And I've I've done this. I can't do this in this room. There's too many windows. But... I used to do it in, in the old place where I used to meet the Sabbath school class because it was a really dark room. Uh, I would turn the lights out and I say, "Now I'm going to open this door. You tell me: Does the darkness go out or does the light come in?" It's obvious the light comes in because why? Darkness is the absence of light, so light has greater power than darkness, uh, and so the light comes in. Uh, so. So when Jesus forgives sins, this is not a facade that he gives us. 
to hide our guilt and shame. Dr. Sheldon? Yes. I like, I see Jesus' uh, practical way of thinking here in his response, and he says, whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. So, for me, I just see Jesus as a practical person. Yeah, you know what it takes in the, in the Greek to say your sins are forgiven? It's three words. It, for, in English, it takes four, but in Greek, it's only three words. And you know, when Jesus says, get up, your, get up take up your bed, and walk, He uses five, oh, actually six words, so doubles that, right? And then he says, finally, get up, take your mat, and go home. I believe he uses seven words. So is Jesus just trying to take the easy route out? <laughs> you almost sense a bit of humor in this, uh, which is easier. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's only three words. Whereas Jesus illustrated something, there's no difference between saying your sins are forgiven you and get up, take up your bed. So could we <clears throat> go back to what happens to the, the memory of the sin? Sure. That, that's a really important concept. <clears throat> if Christ has absorbed the sin, he's covered it in that sense. I don't... The way I heard it as a child is, is that then the sin is never remembered again. But I don't think that's true. The pain is not remembered and the impact is still there. The memory is still there. So when I'm working with, say, a rape victim, and they get to a point where they can forgive the sin and get a different perspective, I'm not asking them to say it was okay. Or the memory of that event is there, but the impact, the trauma, the, it's not there. But what happened is still there. So I don't think Christ is taking away what happened. Otherwise we get to heaven all a bunch of kind of white, sort of something's walking around like... Well, how, how could we know. be sure we would not... We would not. I don't know what the issue was, I'm just kind of here. <laughs> what happened here? Yeah, I mean, I, the memory is there, but the impact, the energy, the negativity, the anger, the sand, all the hurt isn't there. Christ is absorbed. I, I experienced that with the situation uh, growing up that was very painful and repetitive. And uh, one day I, I prayed for emotional healing. And it was like Jesus came and wrapped himself all around that and showed me how he would have treated me if he had been that person. And in that, and it was very fast. It was like seconds that he did. It was like a zip, zip file, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> through it. Um, when he got through, I was whole. I was completely whole. I had already forgiven this person, but the pain, sting, the whole thing was gone. But now, but I, and I still know about it, and I can go visit yeah, that. But it's not worth it, <laughs> you know. Exactly. It's just, it's yeah. gone. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. 
So the memory's still there, but all the energy is not there. Yeah. And I think that's a real important distinction. Otherwise, it, as I got older, it no, I've, I've never believed that we suffer amnesia when we get to heaven. The whole purpose of let God letting sin problem work itself out would be lost yeah. if that were the case. Because we would not learn anything from it, and we'd go and repeat it all over again if we had amnesia. So in chapter 5, yes. it says, um, when Jesus saw their faith, that's, is that what prompted him to react? No. Because his focus, it, it sounds to me like his focus was on their faith versus the palsy. Well, Jesus often says, go in peace, your faith has made you whole. Why, why would he say that? Because you have to come back to God. So you've come back to me, so... That's made you whole? Yeah. What is the importance of faith in all this? Well, our decision. <clears throat> well, faith and trust, and I believe that trust is our biggest issue. Um, our handholders, faith and trust. And so they're trusting that God is God and God is love. And that is what heals us. It's, we're reconnecting because when we have trust, we are, you know, we're, we're one. Going back to the lies, isn't that the issue? That the lies we believe about God destroyed our trust in him severed our relationship with him, separated us from him. And the Restoration Act is to rekindle that trust. Um, and I don't think we can emphasize that enough. Trust has always been what God has wanted from, his, from us. That's what makes a relationship happen. Um, and we have, we have deformed what relationships are. We have, we have been deforming that. We think we're bad, and I think we're coming to this level more and more. Um, the more violence you have in a society, the more you have this issue. Um, very early on, as I study the ancient Near East, I find that they exchanged trust for contractual relationships. <coughs> There was no trust, so you have to have a binding agreement, like a covenant, in order to evoke some kind of trust between two parties. And so the, the contractual kind nature of, of relationships became more and more paramount until the whole issue of trust was just gone. It was, you manufactured relationships you brought them together on economic basis. Uh, marrying into this family will gain us prestige and it will gain us wealth because this family is more wealthy than we are. Uh, and, and all relationships became this contractual, hierarchical uh, kind of structuring that mechanically meant we could control relationships and we could control one another rather than trust one another. And, and as a result... We lost the concept of righteousness because righteousness really means 
that trust has been restored and the relationship flows naturally out of that trust. I, I sometimes illustrate this in class by asking my students, so how many of you have a contractual relationship with your roommate? Have you made a contract with them? And they look at me like, what? <laughs> and uh, uh, one student finally blurted out uh, in class, I don't have a contra contract with my roommate because I trust her. It's, it's a totally foreign to the kinds of friendships that we develop today. But in a society where violence is norm and where people can't be trusted, contractual relationships is where we go. And from there, it all breaks down. We have hierarchy. We have, uh, we have just enormous things that are unrighteous, really, in their formation. So trust, that's why Abraham trusted God and God counted it as his righteousness. That word can be counted as an economic term or it can be thought of as simply, this is how I see it. This is righteousness. It, that's interesting because uh, dealing with contracts a lot. Yeah, you do, don't you, in your work. In the years that have gone by, you see more and more. Those contracts get bigger and bigger and bigger. And sp smaller and smaller print. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got to save our backside. Nobody trusts anybody anymore out right. there. Yeah. They can't even trust people when you marry them. You've got to have a prenuptial agreement. Something that. It's repugnant. Yeah. And the shake hand thing is almost deliberated. It's gone. Yeah. Or you still trust your government. <laughs> Just a little aside, they came out with a recent report, a dying fine, <clears throat> last 20 years, how the concept of trust, it was specifically looking at that, so trust the government is way down, like 12%, and all the areas, religion, um, police, the only ones that had a higher percentage was police and uh, military. Everything else, the trust level is just dropping. Oh, well, that's scary. If we trust our military more than anybody else, we're in real trouble. I think part of it is that they don't trust us either. And so they say, well, no, we're going to do, you know, there's whole groups that go into these things, you know, all your, you know, on legal documents, your name is always in all caps, and that means a certain thing, and all that, because. They want to control you. I think that element of control on either side, either from the people. Well, don't we don't we want to control though in response to fear? We don't trust anyone, right. and so therefore we have to control them to save ourselves from. Them. Mm -hmm. And that's what Satan has done: is trust and fear. That's the two biggies. They hide yeah. behind. It's a smart business. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's their... Well, we've got to... The language really is, we've got to save ourselves. Yeah. If we're smart, we can do it. And that's, that's what leads to the works thing. We don't trust God to save us, so we, work, we try to earn our way uh, through doing works. Uh, it, it, the whole gamut is built around the artificial constructs that we create, the, the contrived... Relationships we, we make because we can't trust one another.
Well, that's a very good note to end on. We have two minutes, and I don't think we want to go through. Uh, but I think we're headed for something that will really help us when we come to Romans, since Paul emphasizes trust. And, and keep in mind that the Greek term for faith means trust. There's no different word for trust in the Greek language like we have for faith. So it's about trust. Uh, in fact, if we were to translate the Bible the way I really think the language should be translated, uh, it would read very much like re real relationships being broken down and, and being reestablished and, and so on. So let's recap what we've talked about. Jesus forgave his sins, and that was an act of healing and restoration. And to him, it is no different to stay I forgive your sins than to say, pick up your mat and go home and walk. So forgiveness is healing and restoration and it is our faith, our trust restored in Jesus that allows that healing to take place internally. Those in mind as we move along, and let's have our closing prayer. Gracious Father, we ask a special blessing on us as we go our separate ways. That you will renew our trust in you. That you will establish it by the very fact that you can be trusted. That you have given us ample demonstration that you are a trustworthy God. We pray that you will draw us close to you that you will rekindle our faith and grow it and that you will forgive our sins and in that forgiveness make us whole. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.